at the fringes of perception, beyond the boundaries of your mind, just past the glow of the firelight, out of the corner of your eyes, you will find an edge case. Edgecase Podcast coming September 10th. Learn more at edgecasepod.com. This is Macabre Grimoire with Airy Show, Travis Nye. And Robert Maley. Hey everybody, welcome to Macabre Grimoire, Chapter 28, Victorian Mystery Airships. I am your host, Aerie Show, here with my co-host, Robert Mayling. Hey, hey, hey. And our other host, Travis, he's away. He's in Vegas doing some magic stuff. Uh, yeah, something about getting ready to, you know, go at Area 51 or something like that. I saw oh, a post yeah. about that, so I'm sure he's just out there in jogging shoes in the desert practicing his Naruto run. <laughs> yes. But combining it with his magical power so that he actually can get through. <laughs> yeah. He's going to use magic to save the aliens. <laughs> yes, he's going to do like a, a David, Cop- David Copperfield where he's going to like go through like the, the Great Wall of China, but it's going to be like through the gates of uh, Area 51. Exactly. They're get- less clim- <laughs> less clim- uh, climactic, though. They're going to, like, we've locked him in this, you know, magician's chest we found yeah. in the desert. There's no way he'll get out of that. And then it just collapses flat. And they're like, what the? <laughs> and then he's up in a guard tower waving. It's like, yeah. oh! <laughs> How did he do it? <laughs> you have, like, a heart, runner on, heart, heart monitor on him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I watch a lot of Goldberg, so like <laughs> they talked about that David Copperfield special, and they actually showed the clip from it. And that uh, when he goes through the Great Wall of China, his heart, they, the heart monitor stops and it flatlines, and then he, then everybody's like, "Oh no!" And then he appears on the other side, and his heart monitor starts going again, and they're like, "What?" So I just that is of, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know how they. I, obviously, the, the question is always like, "How did he do that?" Like, how, I mean, because clearly he didn't go through the wall. I just want to know, like, how? I don't know. Like, I'm just curious. Unless they flip the footage. Yeah, I, I don't know. I flip the. That's camera. why it's magic. It's magic, magic, magic. Illusions. <laughs> um. So, a lot of you guys don't know this, but um, we, Robert, Travis, and I were in a group chat perpetually. And we talk about the show, and we talk about the things that we want to talk about on the show. And um, sometimes I wake up the next morning, and I'm just like, my phone has been blasted by these two, just going back and forth on different things. I'm like, oh my god, what is going on? There's times they have to shut off my phone because you guys are going back and forth on like who knows what. But um, and it's, I'm I'm involved too. It's not like it's just a one side. You know thing. what's funny though is that you just have that one group chat that does that to you. Oh, I have a group chat like that going for every podcast I produce. Oh man. So like Urban Indians, I'll wake up and there'll be I swear to God sixty messages that happened sometime between like 11 p.m. and oh, no. 6 a.m. And I'll be like, what? What the? And it'll just be like one of them like giving the other 
in the group crap about something they did on Saturday night or something oh, like Jesus that. Christ. But I have to like <laughs> skim through it because then all of a sudden someone will randomly throw it. We should have this clip for Saturday. It's uh, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. That would drive me insane. But it's fun. I, I'm glad yeah. I get to be a fly in the wall in those conversations because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, one of the things that we do is uh, we'll share, we started sharing with each other just random crazy news stories, either sometimes it's related to the topic of the podcast and sometimes it's not, um, usually it's not, but we do find a lot of weird things just cause we're all into kind of weird things. And so I thought, why well, why not share these articles with our listeners in addition to, um, share the weirdness, yeah, share in, the love, right. In addition to, um, the show. So... Um, I just dove on to the, one of my favorite weird websites, which is themirror.co.uk. So it's a, it's a United Kingdom website, and they have a lot of just crazy stuff on there. So um, this is an article that says, Bride and groom are offering £5,000 for a chef to secretly feed roadkill to a wedding party. Um, oh. And I don't know what the exchange rate is on that, with like £5,000 to like US dollars. I, oh, that'd be, uh, that'd be that'd be around ten thousand dollars. No, really? Pounds pounds almost always break down with a plus or minus to almost exactly twice what a dollar is. You Google that right now. I want to know. Okay. I I'm just really I'm genuinely curious. Like, what are five thousand pounds? Okay, so while you're doing that. Um, so it basically says the couple, based in Cotswold, have sourced 20 kilos of meat for their special occasion and need someone to come up with some delicious recipes to put on a roadkill banquet. <sighs> um, a bride and groom are planning on secretly feeding their their 30 wedding guests roadkill meat. Well, if it's on the, the mirror, I don't think it's a secret anymore. Um, oh, it does say the unnamed couple have sourced 20 kilos in a bid to make their wedding breakfast more environmentally friendly. Oh, so it's a green wedding. Um, and I think your guests are going to be green after they eat the food. Um, and they're offering $5,000 to a chef to serve it up. The pair, who have been regularly dining on roadkill for three years, asked to remain anonymous because they did not want their guests to know where the meat has been sourced from. They have requested the caterer to dress it up so as to not arouse suspicion as the ingredients' origin. Um, Jeez. They posted their unusual request, oh, this is disturbing, on Bark.com, a local services marketplace hoping to find a professional who shares their passion for sustainable cuisine. I don't even think oh. this is sustainable. Uh, they also want someone who has the right skills to prepare a mixture of woodland squirrel, pheasant, rabbit, partridge, and deer. I can't. Oh, my God. The couple is basing the Cotswolds to assure that the meat is 100% fresh and safe. I'm going to gag. Oh. <coughs> okay, $5,000. They have already sourced. So, basically, they already have the food, and they've frozen it. Now, they just want to basically entice a chef to uh, come and cook it and make it into um, something awesome. It says, hopeful caterers will need to agree to a consultation with the couple as well as having previous experience in preparing wild meat. Well, that's fair because, you know, you just, you want to, you know, make sure that they're doing, that they know their way around like a partridge and a deer. God, I uh, just, ugh, ugh. <laughs> so, Oh, by the way. Yeah, your exchange rate? Yeah, my exchange rate was, it was true yeah. last time I looked like oh. 10 years ago. <laughs> But now it's almost a one-to-one. -one. It's an $82 to the pound. 
oh. or eighty-two cents to the sure, pound. Sure, sure. So they're actually so actually five thousand pounds is only six thousand dollars, but. Ten years ago, it would have been more like. Right, 10, I remember 000. it was a lot, quite a bit higher, um, a few, quite a few years ago. But yeah, oh, it's on. I bet, I bet Brexit is part of that. Reason. Part of, part of the reason, just kicking the crap out of it. Oh god, yeah. Um, right now, though, when I go to Canada, it's like it's a uh, seventy-five. It's like seventy-five Canadian cents to one U.S. dollar. Yeah. So it's basically like everything. And that's, the, that's about what I remember it being. See, in a couple years, like a few years ago, when I was running my when I was running a website back in two thousand three, I had a lot of Canadian uh, members, and it was actually um, it, it cost more for the United States to pay for stuff. Really? Yeah, it was actually quite a bit. Their dollar was actually worth a lot more um, quite a few years ago. So. so has everyone gotten down, or is the the dollar just so strong again? I don't know. That's hard to say. I mean, you have to look at different countries, though, too. Because I know Canada came out of the... We're really off on a tangent, but Canada came out <laughs> yeah. of the Great Recession really, really strong because right. they have a really strong banking regulation system. Oh, sure. So their cash reserves in their banks, when that happened, were all like 80% or something like yeah. that. They were super secured against it. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that's why their currency... would It would have made their currency pretty valuable for a while. Right, right, right. Yeah. But now it's like, eh. Like, I... Now everyone's figuring out that the, their currency is... Printed on birch bark and yeah. made of beaver pelts. It's so. crazy. I it's actually plastic. It's a uh, see through plastic pay, like. I know dollars. euros are the same way, and it yeah. weirds me out so much. I'm like, what is this play money? <laughs> it really is. It's like play money. Because <laughs> I was uh, I was doing an event up there, and everybody was paying me in like their you know with their Canadian money. I'm like, is this even real? And then when I came back home to exchange it, the bank accepted all of the the plastic money, but did not accept any of the coinage, especially. The the one dollar coin and the two dollar coin, they're just like, oh, this isn't valid anymore. I'm like, uh, pretty sure they use it all the time up there. Like, you have to use like a one dollar coin to even get a card. It's it's valid. They just won't like take the- it. Like, uh, uh, different. I used to do exchange rates between Mexico a bunch, and it's mm-hmm. for some reason exchange play. For one thing, pro tip: never do the exchange at, at an airport those yeah. places give you like a shit rate right but uh, a lot of the little exchange places just won't handle coins period oh, they're just sure. like we just don't you'd ask to be a certain denomination or we don't oh, even sure, they'll sure. they'll pay you out in coins yeah. for like down to the like point zero 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 percentage but they won't take but they back. won't accept change which bullshit is bullshit that's bullshit so all right so these this couple says and oh Says their post states, the environment is so important to us and will continue to be as we settle down and start our family. Although money isn't too much of an issue, weddings are resource heavy and result in so much waste that we don't want to have any part in that. I guess. But uh, they, then they continue to say, we know this isn't something that the average chef would be happy in helping us with, but are hoping that someone with the right skills and, our, and the same passion for the environment can step forward and help us out. Um, blah, 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 blah. God, this re- article just repeats itself like over and over again. That's the thing I don't like about the mirror. But basically, they just want to find a chef who's qualified to bake, make this. Who's down happen. to down to uh, cook some roadkill? God, when uh, I was in grade school, we had to um, we had to come up with a restaurant and with a restaurant concept and a menu and like kind of like how we would run the, the restaurant and uh, my best friend and I we came up with a double A cafe where basically the entire menu was roadkill <laughs> and we had like clever names for it I don't re- quite remember what all the names were but I just remember because because her name is Anne and my name is Ari and so we, that's why we called it the double A cafe and it nice. rhymed and yeah so the but, AA cafe and our, I just remember our teachers being horrified that we would serve roadkill on a menu <laughs> We, 
So when we were older, my best friend and I in high school, we, we did a business plan for a pizza place, but mm. it was just a totally like straightforward like pizza place to pass mm-hmm. business class. When we were in junior high, we had to come up with an ad campaign for a class project. Yeah. For a for a create for a like a totally original invention. Yeah. And so uh I pitched so the three it's me it's me, me, the rebel, and then the future class salutatory and valedictorian. Yeah. The three of us came up with uh edit diapers and uh we were just kinda like it's the magic diaper that converts human waste into food. Oh, gross! <laughs> and, then, and so then we had this slideshow of like third world poverty and stuff like that. And then the future or salutatorian, my best friend Tommy, yeah. we actually got vid- like very early. This was like when webcams just came out, or oh, like eight sure. less than a megapixel or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so it's pretty grainy and stuff, but uh, it's hilarious because. Then we cut to him, footage of him eating out of a diaper that we bought that we filled with Hershey's syrup. <laughs> so gross! So he's like, it's so good! And just like half the class is like retching, and it's just like... <laughs> oh, God. And we got school credit for that, and I'm always, I'm always super proud of that. I remember we had to do that, too, when I was in junior high, like a seventh grade. We had to come up with an original invention and then make an ad campaign for it. Yep. And uh, everybody was doing things like... Um, like basically reverse microwave so instead of making things hot it would make things cold so you'd be have to ice faster beverages faster um one of them some i remember someone did like a type of robot but it had a but they had a fro and then they got called out on racism (laughs) that was super awkward yeah and then uh yeah but they're like 13 year olds you know what i mean so i mean i i I get it like they're just trying to be funny and have fun but they're not trying to intentionally marginalize anybody and then i think my project was um oh it was a rain gutter system that filters the rainwater that that you that you would just naturally fall in your house and then filters into your home as um, drinking water see that that sounds like a totally legit like thing that's cool yeah and then I find out years later that it's illegal to collect rainwater and use it as your own personal use, which I think is bullshit. Depends on the city, yeah. It, yeah, it does. Yeah, you're right. It does depend on the city. So it's just like that would never stop someone out in the country from doing that. No, so. absolutely not. I always hear that though, like those kind of those kind of city rules. Right, right, right. I've lived in like townhomes and apartments for like. 15 years, but I'm still the farmer in me. It's just like, them city people with their city rules. (laughs) (laughs) I think Dominic feels the same way because he grew up in like a really small town farming community, so there's things where he does, and I'm just like, what are you doing? You can't do that Chafe under the authority of Big Brother. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, so yeah, so that was that's awesome. So our article this week is Victorian Mystery Airships. Yeah, these are a project that's kind of near and dear to my heart, because I was telling uh, Aerie before the show, uh, I've always been super fascinated by these and the stories of them and stuff like that, but I feel like they're a very underappreciated, untold story of, like, the whole history. Like, we think UFOs, and you think of, like, the 50s and flying saucers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Or, you know, it's just like, and then obscure ones, like we did that whole conflagration or whatever, conflagration yeah. Uh, you know, that was like in the 1500s or whatever. So UFOs are not anything new as far as like the the concept directly right. of an unidentified flying object. But this is like a really unique time period for them to be happening <clears throat> where, and it brings up a lot of questions about the UFO phenomenon where a lot of people kind of think, 
you know, do these things change over time based on like what? So do they, are they like psychic or interdimensional or whatever? So that a lot, that's what a lot of people think is that they change based on the expectations of the viewer, oh. or or they like basically they see something their brain can't process. So they turn it into something that's based on, like, the rules and the technology and stuff of their era. Yes, I agree with that second uh, thought right there. So let's get into a little bit with the Victorian airships. So the period we're talking about is in 1896 and 1897, hundreds of Western American newspapers reported mass sightings of fantastic winged airships performing maneuvers years ahead of the technology of the time. In some cases, the airships landed and their pilots uh, talked to witnesses. These stories get pretty crazy. I'm like, this sounds like somebody's on drugs. Uh, Most Americans assumed the secret inventor would take credit for the sightings. In fact, like very few, there's, we'll get to them. There's a few that are like, maybe it's Martians or whatever, Mm -hmm. but most of them thought for sure that it was like Edison or Tesla or somebody was like, oh, this is their latest wonder they've invented now. You know, first they brought us these electric lights and now they're flying around in it's like they're just, they're getting so jaded by all the new technology being thrown at them. They are. <laughs> it's it's like future shock where they're yeah. just like anything could happen because technology. Yeah. They grew up in a time where technology is insane. Right. It's moving so fast. Yeah. But now now we're just kind of like, oh, that's adorable. Jaded Victorians. Yes, this jaded is, Victorians. This isn't even Victorian era. The eighteen hundreds, is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Queen Victoria, eighteen hundreds. Okay. Yeah. Because 1700s would be King George. This is oh, Victoria. Oh, okay. So I know, like, everybody, whenever they see a ghost, they're like, oh, they're wearing Victorian-era clothing. I'm like, I don't think you guys know what Victorian-era clothing is. Because uh, Queen Victoria reigned, like, a ridiculous... I think I think the only person out to beat her for reign is now the current Elizabeth II. Nice. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's 1800s, because I want to say she was even... The monarch, like right after the Civil War or whatever, we'll look it up. But yeah, anyway, yeah, science. All right, tangent. Yeah. No, that's cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this is this is her her era or really close to it, and it's it's very like when people think like steampunk and airships, you know, that's that's very Victorian. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, the mystery ships remain unidentified, uh, constituting an early wave of UFOs before flying saucers and almost before flight itself. The majority of sightings occurred over eight months between mid-November uh, 19, or 1896 and the end of April 1897. There were hundreds of sightings, some, some with thousands of witnesses each. According to newspaper reports, every attempt to verify the names of witnesses provided in the newspaper reports has turned up real people. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, it's just like if they're making it up, they're really good, mm-hmm. you know, really fakes. Good, yeah, yeah. But we'll get to why... That, that is very possible. Mm-hmm. There were more than 1,200 newspaper articles published about sightings in over 400 newspapers in 41 states and six Canadian provinces. Damn. The first sighting to make it, uh, news occurred in Sacramento, California on November 17th. The most prominent feature was a brilliant electric light. It's not clear if the light was mounted to the structure, but some saw an egg-shaped craft with four downward-facing propellers. The San Francisco call had an image drawn of the craft based on the witnesses' descriptions. We will uh, link to sure. some of these images because they're they're kind of what got me in when I was a kid because they're super fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was later reported that similar light went the opposite direction the following night. Hmm. The majority of papers dismissed the sightings, which 
I, I don't know if I totally agree with that because a lot of newspapers picked up on it. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but a few took it seriously. Believers assumed an inventor was testing a new design and expected him to unveil the craft as a new invention at any time. However, anyone who claimed responsibility, like the lawyer George Collins or California's attorney general at the time, William Henry Harrison Hart, which, could you imagine nowadays the... the uh, attorney general of like a state or the United States yeah. just coming out and be like, yeah, that UFO that's flying around. I invented that. <laughs> Bullshit. It's just like, <laughs> wow. Uh, what a time to be alive. Yeah, right? really. So more sightings occurred in Sacramento on November 22nd. This time the light, two lights were seen and apparently anchored to the structure. Again, those who could see it said that it was egg shaped and at least one witness could see moving parts like wings or propellers. That's another common thing with these is reports of like flapping, like mm-hmm. big wooden wings on them and mm. just goofy stuff. Yeah. Uh, the lights were seen in San Francisco Bay Area as well. Witnesses included policemen, streetcar drivers, car barn employees, which, by the way, when I saw that, I was like, car barns? That's a door. It's like yeah, what are, a barn for you. It's it's just like a covered shelter for like Aww. with a stable and like people yeah. who like keep up your car. So it's like when cars were only for the rich people, oh, or 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 like they were still a wagon or like right, a carriage right. or something like that. Yeah, so it's like a hybrid well, of a stable. Cars were invented to like 1902, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. So, four, yeah, so car one. car barn must just be uh, still carriages and yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Right. But they called it a car barn. That's so interesting. I'm just like, that's cool. Because the first flight didn't happen to like what 1916. Uh the first flight. Yeah, we're we're awful here. I I don't remember <laughs> off the top. Of my head. I'm the history major. Got through without actually memorizing dates. Oh no. Yeah, I, I am terrible, awful for remembering like the exact dates of things. So people will be like a history major. What year did this happen? What year did this happen? And I'll be like, like uh, that's uh, okay. It was nineteen oh three. Um, so I was off by uh, thirteen years. And then uh, first car, first car. Mate. And you say first flight, but that's first powered flight. Uh, hot air balloons were a common thing at this point. Oh, no, sure. not common, but they were something everyone was aware of because they'd been used heavily in the American Civil War in the eighteen sixties. So. Right. Um, it looks like the first car ever running um, was in 1885. So maybe. Okay. Hang yeah, on. That Here's the sounds... history of the automobile. I've got a Wikipedia, the source of all truth. Yep. <laughs> um, you keep. Uh, you can keep going if you want while okay. it's loading. My sure. My internet's being slow. Uh, so witnesses and yeah, we talked about that. They're foreman and a conductor. The mayor of San Francisco vouched for his two servants who said they'd seen the lights as well. In the fall, I love it how in that era, the, mm-hmm. the, the servants have to have an important person vouch for their, like, observations to mean anything. Anyway. Oh, I, I have my answers, too, if you want me. Go oh, for okay. it. Okay. Okay. So, it actually goes back a lot further, but the first steam-powered automobile capable of human transportation was 1769. Yeah, but uh, that's not... Yeah, yeah. and then the, in 1870, Siegfried Marcus built the first gasoline-powered combustion engine, which he placed on a push cart... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's see here. Um, let's see. The battery the, the electric cars owes its beginnings to someone in basically 1859. In 1885, Carl Benz de- developed a petrol or gasoline-powered automobile. This is all cons- also considered to be the first production vehicle, as Benz made several other identical copies. And what year was that? Uh, 1885. Okay. And then 1913. So I was, <laughs> that's so funny. I kind of flipped those two things around. 1913 was the Ford Model T. 
Which okay. was, um, the, yeah, I knew the Model T was just, was well into the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but cars predate that. In fact, steam-powered cars and electric cars were pretty yeah. common. It was the it's the gasoline taking over was kind of got became more of a monopoly of cars. I think just yeah, awesome. Okay, but in the in the following days, similar lights were seen in San San Jose, uh, to Tacoma and Washington, and even into Western Canada. Sightings continued into December and fizzled out by the end of the year. No one took credit for them. Sad. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Like, someone should have put it on their Instagram. Oh, wait. <laughs> You're not Snapchat the, that. The, the, air, yeah. the, the airship story died by mid-December. But in, on February 2nd of 1897, new sightings emerged in Nebraska, then spread north and east over the next 10 weeks. By mid-April, the lights were seen over Omaha, with mass sightings over Kansas City, Nashville, Chicago, and Evanston, Illinois, and Waterloo, Iowa. By April 20th, there were sightings in the Wisconsin area and Indiana. It's just all over, like, North America. Yeah. At the same time, the sightings spread southwest into Texas and Louisiana. So they are just, like, it spreads like a fire. Yeah, yeah. By May, they had nearly ceased entirely. In the majority of cases, witnesses saw only lights. But those who saw structures claimed that the airships reached over 200 meters, or I I did these conversions for us, 650 feet in length. Though most were between 10 meters, or 30 feet, and 60 meters, 200 feet long. The airships displayed a wide range of me- uh, mechanisms for generating lift and propulsion. Some contained propellers, but most had wings curving or fixed. Some were suspended with great balloons. Many were, uh, many were just... Uh, sorry. Many witnesses claimed that they spoke to the pilots who had landed the airships. The first pilot encounter came just two days after the first sightings over Sacramento on November 19th. Colonel H.G. H. G. Shaw claimed to have encountered two tall, lanky Martians who flew away silently in a football-shaped craft. The story is likely a hoax. Hoaxes directed at uncritical readers were common in 19th century newspapers. Which oh, it's common that's too. <laughs> yeah, in a way, we've kind of like come full circle with media, yeah. where it's just like... It was so sensationalistic back then, and mm-hmm. people just, like, printed anything cause to get clicks, you know? Yep, and yep. Uh, now now the internet has basically b- brought that back. So I always think it's funny when they're just kind of like, you know, it's just like, it's ne- we've never seen technology do this before. It's like, yes, yes, we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, history, it's, as they say, history doesn't repeat, but it can often rhyme. Uh, yeah. I've Let's, never heard that, but I, I agree with it. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that they claim that that's a, a Mark Twain quote, but then I looked it up one time and they were like, people attribute it to Mark Twain, but no one's sure who actually said it first. Probably like... Kind of like one of my other favorite quotes that uh, uh, victory has a thousand fathers, mm-hmm. but uh, defeat is always an orphan. That's one of my, my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always thought for sure that that was in Art of War, Sun Tzu. Yeah. But it's... Uh, its origin is actually John F. Kennedy misquoting or like paraphrasing something he thought was in Sun Tzu or whatever. <laughs> I'm just awesome. like, it's still a damn great quote. Yeah, it's still a good quote. Let's see. Most reports involved every uh, who asked for menial favors and boasted of the revolutionary potential of their new experimental cl- crash or craft. On April 16th, 1897, C.G. Williams of Greenville. Man, everybody had like 
G.W. Smith Greenwald, you know, as their yeah. name. It, the names were fun. Yeah. Texas claimed that they had asked to mail letters for the crew of a brilliant light lighted airship that landed in a field. The ship was cigar-shaped with corrugated wings and a fan-like tail and a propeller at the front. The pilot said that he expected to, quote, revolutionize travel and transportation when he revealed his craft to the public. It sounds a little fantastical and a little bit of bullshit, but a little bit like, And that's I that's part of what I I think maybe, maybe fueled this, was just like, there were some lights in the sky that people couldn't explain. Sure. And then someone spun a yarn, and we'll get to some of that. Oh, for sure. And then it almost became like a one-up. Oh, yeah? Well, in Omaha, we had the one that had <laughs> aliens from Jupiter who yeah. rode on, you know, seahorse, flying seahorses. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, every, so everybody's like, oh, yeah? You know, <laughs> we can come up with a fucked up story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me. Uh, let's see. Two days later, Colonel Tom uh, Peoples of Milan County, Texas, said a giant winged saw a giant winged airship. It flew like a buzzard and cast a shadow over some of the workers on his farm. It came to hover over an artificial lake, then unfurled several colored banners and a shot a strange, shot strange streaks of light into the air, which, huh? Yeah. In April of 1897, J.B. Lingdon and his son went to inspect some of the lights in a nearby pasture. They found four men standing next to a large dark object who asked him for water. One of the men said that his name was Wilson and that the ship was one of only five aircraft constructed in secret. It had four large wings with dragonfly, uh, like a dragonfly, and propellers at its bow and stern. The next day, Sheriff H.W. Baylor met three men outside of an airship landed beside his house in Uvalde, Uvalde, Texas, and one identified himself as Wilson of Gushin, New York. Uh, there, there were at least three of other incidents in Texas involving this Wilson and other similar elements. So it's just like that's like, are they? Is is this turning into like a fanfic thing? Or that's so crazy. You know, it's just like I, I've never really understood the concept of like hysteria, like actually right. being a thing where people see things and shit like right, that. Right. But something like this kind of makes me like maybe you know yeah. like understand it a little bit more. Right, right, right. Encounters with crewmen got stranger from there. On April 18th, 1897, a judge, uh, Judge Love of Waxach of Texas, claimed he, <laughs> God damn it, claimed, claimed he met five strangely dressed, this is my favorite one, five strangely dressed men smoking pipes in repose by their landed aircraft. The men said that they were from a land beyond the polar seas and that they were the descendants of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Now, for those of you not familiar, we're getting into like medieval stories where they like make up just the craziest shit yeah, like yeah, Prester yeah. John and you know people who have like torsos for heads and like yeah. you know there's a grand tradition in the western world of people concocting these like like crazy stories like that and one of the common it's a trope really from that yeah. from that time it'd be like today being like well it turns out they're superheroes you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean it's like it's whatever is in the media of that time right right, right. Let's see. So, yeah. Supposedly a Martian bot... Oh, okay. This is one. We've actually mentioned this one before. Mm -hmm. uh, on April 19th, uh, the Dallas Morning News reported a crashed airship at Aurora, Texas. And I, I even thought about doing a whole episode about this one, but oh, sure. it's hard to find information about it other than it happened. Sure. So, supposedly in Aurora, Texas, a 
Martian body was recovered, as well as many fragments of metal from a crashed airship. Although no evidence of this remains today. Uh, now, they, the, you know, the, the article says that, but um, there's more to it than that. There's a quite a bit more, because there's actually, like, a historical marker that went mm. up in, like, the 19-teens mm -hmm. that's, like, you know, here's the Aurora Cemetery. Uh, buried here is, like, the founder of such-and-such such county and the founding fathers of Aurora, Texas, and blah, blah, blah. And, and also a Martian who crash-landed near the town on this date. And that's all it says, and that's all, like, people have, like, gone over that that cemetery with, like, a metal detector and stuff, but, like, the Aurora County won't let them dig and stuff like that. And, oh, dang. But, uh, but nobody's ever found anything, but also no one has ever, you know, decided to dig up an entire cemetery full of people to try and find a Martian that was reported in the 1890s. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So, let's see. Although no evidence remains today. The same day, a cattle farmer named Ag Alexander Hamilton claimed an airship grabbed one of his... This one is crazy. Yeah. Grabbed one of his cows by a noose and carried it away. He found it apparently dropped in a nearby field. Butchered. Oh. Which okay. I was like... So that really, like, tie... That's like the cattle mutilation trope. Yeah. Before that was a thing. Right. Which, Right. It's like it's like how long have these flying objects been tormenting the poor goddamn cows? It's like how much do they have? How much do Andorians have left to learn about cow anatomy? Really? Right. Or maybe that's how they get hamburger. I, I don't. I, I don't, don't know. know. Maybe they have a, a hankering for steak. Yeah, they just like take a steak and they're just right. like, yeah, they're like what? It's like there's plenty of plenty of cows on the earth. Yeah, <laughs> fish poor, in the sea. The poor moo-moos. Yeah. However, Jerome Clark has provided testimony that, tho uh, that those who claim that they and their families' members conspired with Hamilton to perpetuate a hoax as part of a liar's club tradition. Because a liar's club? Okay, that was my very first question. Yeah. And I, I tried to find more details but didn't find a lot of information about liar's clubs. Because I'm like, we could do a whole episode about what the hell is a liar's club. I, oh, this is so messed up. Like, so... Okay, so even if you did find something called a liar's club, could you even trust what's on it? No. You can't, because they're liars. <laughs> exactly. Maybe who, it goes who, like who's a member? Oh, uh, so and so, so and so, so and so. Are you lying? Yes. About which ones? Yes. It's like. God damn it. <laughs> it's like. It's like an intelligence agency. Who's a member? Well, we can't actually be sure because everyone will say yes, except for the ones that aren't allowed to lie and they'll say no, or the ones that always lie that say no also because they are members. Okay, this is turning into like a labyrinth riddle. <laughs> uh, those who believed in the reality of airships were wowed by the sightings. Some interpreted the airships as supernatural omens and credited them for the current rise in church membership at the time, but most assumed that they were experimental aircraft being tested by some secret inventor, uh, some Edison-like inventor. In fact, Edison himself was so widely believed to be the inventor, he had to make a statement in newspapers denying his involvement. He even went so far as to uh, lay out his case for casting doubt on how uh, flight wouldn't even be practical. Which I'm just like that didn't age. That argument didn't age yeah, so well. He's how, an idiot. <laughs> but uh, you know, it knows his stuff. But it, it always bugs me when people take like scientists and experts and it's like, um, like oh, what's a good example? Oh, Einstein and the bees. Mm. I, I always think it's funny because there's a. Uh, uh, oh, I forget what it's like. Scientifically accurate. 
thing or whatever from uh, Animation Annihilation or something like that. Some little like YouTube kind of like skit video oh, thing sure. where they're they're sitting around and it's like, Mr. Scientist, is it true Einstein said that if the bees die, we die? It's like the scientist like, first, Einstein never said that. Einstein wasn't a biologist. Yeah. Uh, however, yes, they are. And then goes in like the scientifically right, right. accurate part of it. But uh, but yeah, you know, people you'll hear people say that it's like Einstein said this, or yeah, or like when Hawking was alive, people would be like, Hawking said that uh, if there's aliens out there, we don't want them to find us, and it's just like. But he's a physicist? Being a physicist doesn't necessarily mean that he knows what he's talking about with sociology and xeno uh, psychology. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, Or or like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson gets consulted on like everything. And I think he's pretty good about tempering it and being like, you know. He, he, he's careful not to like go out on a limb with his like right. pronouncements and stuff. Right. And he gets a lot of softballs that he just knocks out because it's like if you have a basic like high school science understanding, yeah. right? Then you you know why this isn't accurate or that's accurate. But uh, I'm sure he gets bombarded with questions where he's sitting there like, "I'm not actually a biologist, guys. I'm an astrophysicist." Yeah. <laughs> it's like I probably have friends on my podcast who can tell you like right. exactly why this is so. But right. But I'm not. Yeah, and I'm sure he's got a great grasp on those things and stuff right. like that. But, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson diving into something like politics or something like mm-hmm. that would be like, it's like, no. It's like, you're just because you're good at one thing doesn't right. mean you're good at everything. Kind of like right. when we when we get a sports star and suddenly we decide they should be, like, governor or oh. they should run a business or something like that. And there are sometimes those skills translate and it's more about the personality type. But... Some lots of times it's not, you know. Right, 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 right. But anyway, that's rant over about uh, experts and what. Yeah, this side tangent episode. This is a tangent rich episode. All that tangent goodness. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh, I did have a. I will. You reminded me. We're going to continue on a little bit of a tangent. Yes. So okay, I saw a quote. It's on. uh, I saw it was on the Reddit of um, Facepalm, and so it says that. uh, Steve. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Back this up. There's is there like a website for palm readers called Face Palm, and it's like a social network for like mediums and palm readers and know. stuff like. Oh. Okay, so the subreddit Face Palm. It's a subreddit. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so the subreddit Face Palm. I saw this yesterday. The quote says Steve Jobs created an IQ quiz that will that will uh, predict your IQ points within. Than a ninety-seven percent accuracy, Albert Einstein even failed the quiz. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, like this is the dumbest thing. And there's yeah, so like like no guys, no. Yeah, it's like where do I even begin to unpack that? Aside from the like direct inaccuracies yeah. of like the the date and then and like not why be- would Steve Jobs make an IQ and how do you te- measure and IQ tests tend to be super objective and more right. and more yeah they're kind of like not useful because right. it doesn't it, it doesn't translate and stuff well right and there's a lot of cultural biases in it etc cetera, etc cetera. oh yeah, uh, yeah yeah but yeah I'm just like there's a lot to unpack there. I, like, I took an I, I took an online IQ test several years ago, and my IQ, according to this test, was 124. And I told somebody that, they're just like, whoa, no way, that's not right. 
you need to take it again. Like, they didn't believe that I, I was, like, 124, but the 124 isn't even, like, that high. No. Uh, well, it depends on the test, too, because... Oh, that's true. Actual, like, you know, considered legit IQ tests, like, the one that I qualified for Mensa through was when I was a child, and that was, like, the OWLS oh, test okay, or whatever. Sure. And they don't give that test to adults, but it's the one they give to children to when they're, like, figuring out if they've got learning disorders oh, or if they're sure, going to be in sure, talented, sure. gifted, stuff like that. Uh, so when I take those or whatever, that, that you know, so my score in that, I want to say, was something like 220 or something like that. Right. But that does not translate the same as, like... When someone says they have a 120 IQ and like the, the right. SAT test or whatever, oh, that's the yeah, standard yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. So that's the other thing is to be aware of the different scales. It's like, I think what like Mensa cares about is you're in the like 99th percentile or something like that. Right, right, right. But uh, yeah, bell curves and all that. Right. Sorry. No. Yeah. Uh, we were like all about the tangents. <laughs> all about those tangents. Get them. Get them. Get them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this was an interesting story. To prove that people had been duped, uh, the Peoria Transcript, so a newspaper trying to like show that this is all BS, mm -hmm. sent up lighted balloons in Illinois and reported on as many witnesses as they thought they had, had seen the airship. So basically mm -hmm. they went around afterwards and like asked people, so what did you see? Because they know they put up lighted balloons. Oh. Uh, but... It didn't really, you know, help because nobody reported any of the crazy, like, wings or anything. Everyone described it exactly as they saw it. They were like, well, it was a balloon and it had a light hanging underneath it. Oh, you know? interesting. So that, that was the, their little experiment didn't pan out quite the way they were they were planning. Right, right, which, right. given the veracity of newspapers in this area, you'd almost think they'd lie about that. But right. Who knows? I had a professor, I took pseudoscience in college, and uh, he wanted to do that. He actually wanted to get a bunch of weather balloons and put, like glow sticks in them and like launch them up over Brookings and see how many people oh, God, that'd be fun. call in reports of like UFOs or whatever. But I bet you it probably would have ended up exactly like this. People would be like, why is there a weather balloon floating with like something glowing inside of it? <laughs> like You never know. You never but you never know who's who's crazy. Like, I always uh, I always think of that guy, I think it's in Alaska in like the seventies or the eighties mm -hmm. who piled up a bunch of tires on an old extinct volcano above this one town in Alaska and then lit them on fire. And create and it was as an April Fool's joke. Oh shit! And he created like a mass panic across half the state because state seismologists and stuff thought, "Oh my god, the volcano has become active again!" And because <laughs> it was such black smoke, and it was so so convincing, and oh, no. it would take weeks for someone to haul up. T you know, no oh. one would fathom doing that because it's such a ridiculous thing to do. But. <laughs> It's Alaska and there's nothing to do. Exactly. Some crazy redneck found a way, goddammit. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we should do an episode about that sometime. Or like one of our short little news bits we do at the there front. There we go, there we go. Little, little macabre grimoire short. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's see. Professor G.W. Hugh of... Uh, Dearborn Obs of the Dearborn Observatory made statements to the press claiming that the sightings were caused by atmospheric distortions from a red-hued star, Alpha Orionis, which I thought that was a misspelling. It is not. That's a star, apparently. Or Betelgeuse, which is a star everyone's heard of. Okay. As many had seen a red light on the airship. Other authorities attributed the sightings to meteors. When sightings ended in the summer of 1897, there were there was no consensus on what had happened, and the story evaporated from newspapers. 
when the writer Frank Edwards and astronomer uh, Jacques Vallée resurrected it in the mid-1960s, it was still an open mystery. The scholarship comes to no consensus. Uh, Daniel Cohen attributes the episode to a bout of public hysteria stirred up by a few journalists' hoaxes and supports the contemporary belief that a few railroad workers helped start the prank by relaying fake sightings between stations. Right. Which... That kind of makes sense, because that would help it spread along what seems like, you know, like fire down these lines of railroad. Let's see. The writer Wallace uh, Cheridan implies that the airships may have been extraterrestrial spacecraft. Well, yeah, okay, we talked about that a little bit. Both mm -hmm. Michael Busey and Alan Danilik uh, concluded that the airships were test craft of a secret network of experiments, experimental aeronauts ruined by some unknown disaster, which, where is there evidence for that? Uh, some have attributed the airship sightings to uh, media influence, which that's kind of what I lean towards on this case. Right. The airship was a common element of science fiction featured prominently in, as I mentioned earlier, Jules Verne's uh, Robber the Conqueror series, as well as Thomas Edison Jr., which I didn't know there was... Thomas Edison was so popular back then, there was a, there were dime novel kind of comic booky kind of things, precursors to comic books, kind of like the dime novels that would tell stories about, like, figures of the Wild West and stuff like that. Oh, sure, the, sure, sure. There was a series that was just, like, uh, Thomas Edison Jr., and it was all about this young boy inventor doing all these kind of crazy Jules Verne, like adventures and stuff like that with flying machines and new technology and stuff like that. Right. Which I always think that's funny because even if you look at the cover of those things, it totally like is like a precursor to, oh, that's going to be in 40 years. That's what, that'll be a comic book where you'll see like oh. the bat plane on the front of right, it and right. the dramatic pose of the person and then the stories inside. Mm -hmm, and it's just kind of mm -hmm. like, it's fun to watch stuff evolve like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love history. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but the machines in the series more often had propellers, like modern helicopters, and rarely had flapping wings, which is a big prominent... Something that stuck out to me about Victorian airships, mm -hmm. and something that sticks out to a lot of people. It's just, like, not a thing that ever happened on any aircraft ever, so why do people report mechanical flapping wings? Right, right. Maybe that's what they could have, like, only related to. Yeah, maybe. The science fiction alone can't help explain the timing of the wave, or the pattern... Uh, yeah, the patterned geography of the sighting reports, which, like I said, that could maybe be the railroad thing, but some of that doesn't, like, make sense where it, like, sparks up in Omaha and then all of a sudden right. spreads all over, like, opposite directions right. and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, the, the airships boasted absurd technologies and designs by today's standards, but these were the most advanced that the 19th century Americans could imagine. Still, Bellet's theories don't explain what airships were or where they came from. More than a century later, the origins of airships is still a mystery, despite several reports which airships dropped letters, debris, anchors, trash. No physical evidence exists today of the stories in the other than the stories in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. But whether they were real or not, the mysterious airships had a strong effect in the media, uh, generating a lot of discussion of recent progress in aviation and spreading hope in human ingenuity. They I This is kind of my paraphrasing a little bit, they allowed Americans to imagine a far-reaching impact that flight would have on war, travel, commerce, and transportation, and gave them a glimpse of the revolution just a few, de few years down the road that they would themselves experience. But the airships didn't simply disappear with the introduction of navigable flying machines in the early 20th century. More phantom airships were also seen over the UK in 1909 and 1910. Dang. And over the UK 
Germany, Canada, and South Africa in 1912 and 1913. Whoa. I want to do a little more digging into that because I remember I used to have a book of alien reports and encounters. Right. And there was a really cool one. I think it's the one that was like, must be the one in South Africa, but I mm-hmm. thought it was Rio de Janeiro where they had a Victorian airship where they saw like people walking around on the deck up above and stuff like that. And oh, interesting. When I was a kid, I was super like, oh, that is the coolest story ever. So something I want to mention. So this started in start the phenomenon started in 1896. Coke was invented on May 8th of 1886. So 10 years before all this started happening. So maybe people were just drinking too much cocaine co- water. Cocaine water. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it? Somebody said is like, damn, I wish I could be an old timey doctor. That must have been so much fun. It's like drunk as hell. Yeah, yeah. You got ghosts in your the, blood. Takes some the, cocaine. The meme is something like. Uh, it's one of my favorite means. I repeat t- it all the time t- in my head. Uh, have your six-year-old take this heroin to get the nose ghosts out of his skull or something. You know, just like, just crazy shit. Uh, so, yeah, it says being, being an old-timey doctor would rule just drunk as hell. Like, yeah, if you got ghosts in your blood, you should do cocaine about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's one of the, it's, I, I was just really, a, I really liked this one. I was repeating it in my head for like weeks. Until I had to look it up and get it out of my system. Nice. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. That's Victorian airships in a nutshell. Uh, and like I said, there's topics in there that maybe someday we'll revisit. Like the Aurora one in Texas has always fascinated me. But, uh, you know, the, the Victorian airships are a lot of fun. And I'm going to include a lot of the uh, newspaper illustrations I can find on the post about it. Because uh, those images really, like really sparked my imagination when I was a little kid seeing them. Mm-hmm. Just some of the really wild ones that newspapers commissioned and stuff like that. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, I've always been a sucker for the Jules Verne, you know, steampunk kind of aesthetic anyway. So Would you ever... There's a steampunk club here in town. Would you ever consider... I've seen that. Would you ever consider being a member? I. What would you do in that club? Because all I want to do is just sit around and be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't have the... In, I don't quite have the, like artistic engine cosplay ingenuity to like actually build a like so, top hat with gears spinning on it yeah, and stuff like that so i do um basically they're like murder mystery plays at the pedigree museum and okay. so i'm a character usually in whatever the play is oh really that. yeah 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 so like people will come will, will uh, tour the museum and um, each room that you go into has a different character that tells a different that basically tells their side of the story. And then at the end of it, you get to deliberate with everybody else and decide who done it. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. So um, you. I think you've mentioned that before. I just that's really cool. Yeah, like you just never like sat and like thought about it. Yeah. Um. So there's the the steampunk club will usually come through, and I think they're um, associated with like the historical society in Sioux Falls, and so that would make sense. One woman, when she comes in, she's super dressed up, has her steampunk hat, and has, like, a little gear brooch brooch on, and, like, she's, like, super steampunk. Then she had a friend with her who just was wearing just a dress and had, like, uh, goggles on or something. I think like it, I, was, like, it was, like, the it was like the contrast of, like, somebody who's super into it and somebody whose friend just, like, wants to participate. I, I think I know the woman you're talking about bec- mm-hmm. with that, that brooch and hat and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Because she always goes to the Renaissance Festival oh, yeah. with that, and she always goes to uh, Supercon with that. Yep. And I think I've seen her at both events. So oh, yeah, that's, I believe that. Especially the brooch and the top hat yep. are, like, that's very familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So, yeah, so you probably know exactly who I'm talking. Well, I don't know who, per se, but right. just the, the character. 
So, but yeah, there's like, there was a, a woman with her who I think was part of the club and she was dressed not quite as fantastic as, as her friend, so. That's still cool. But yeah, yeah, so I thought like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I didn't realize we had a steampunk club. It's a very specific... It's a, we talk, we talk about niches a lot in podcasting, yeah, and yeah. holy crap, that is a niche. <laughs> it's definitely Especially niche. for Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I say that, and I should always, you know, hold my tongue on that, because, you know, it's amazing the different groups you find here and stuff like that. It's like, there's a lot more, like, ideological diversity here oh, than we give credit for. right. It's Sioux hard Empire, to find we, it. Yeah, that's true. It's very hard to find mm -hmm. sometimes. It's like Sioux Empire podcast, we literally had Falls Facial society on which is nothing but beard enthusiasts and they have an annual beard competition attended by people from all over the country down in brandon what yeah that sounds so awesome but it sounds i was really concerned about the name <laughs> the face fall it's it's falls facial foundation yeah 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 uh, and yeah they and they raise money for like a cancer charity and oh, stuff cool. like that with it and that they actually have a like women and kids category where they bring a whole bunch of like fake beards and stuff like that or or people will bring their own that they like make and decorate and there's like a whole category where you can win a big trophy just for designing the funkiest like fake beard oh, with nice. all sorts of crazy stuff like a bird nest or whatever going is it on just in like it. A, is it just because like a lot of these clubs have like because in my experience it's basically lack of funding to be able to appropriately advertise to the masses of sioux falls because it's so hard i think to find like who 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 who's your demographic and where do they live and how do you get to that demographic because it's like you have your tv ads which cost thousands and thousands of dollars you have the banners hanging up downtown but that only covers so much people yeah. in the city because not everybody in the city drives underneath those bridges to be able to see those banners and then you have to figure i don't know there's just so much where i think it's really easy and for especially a lot of in today's media landscape where it's like even even like a local news broadcasting station, even like the big ones, mm -hmm. it's like, I never see their ads. I have no idea what ads they're running because unless I'm at my my folks' house, mm -hmm. other than maybe checking out one of their internet articles, I don't watch TV news. Yeah, and so, I think that's, that's, that's another part of it too is that most of it I think is probably more word of mouth Yep. and uh, sometimes the Facebook events, but I don't even think that either. Yeah, and I don't think, so I think social media is really good at telling your friends what's going on. Yep. It's not as great to get it out to like outside of your niche or your right. bunker or right. silo as Clint yeah, Brown yeah, would yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely very siloed. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's what we try to do here at the, the Sioux Empire Podcast Network is get people out of their silos and them let out. them know what's going on in the community. Right. And hopefully... Uh, and, I, and I apologize if you're not a listener from Sioux Falls that we're talking so much about Sioux Falls on this one, but it's where we live and it's what's going on. And I'm sure the concepts we're talking about here are not alien to wherever you live. And you should just come visit. Yeah. Come visit. Go go uh, go see if you can be the first drunk tourist to get arrested for trying to climb on the Ark of Dreams. <laughs> I'm still, I feel like I should have a counter on the website counting you down should. the day until someone, someone gets arrested for climbing the Ark of Dreams. Yep, I agree with I that. Should talk to, I should talk to the Sioux Falls headliner and get yeah. them to create that with me. There you go. And we just like post so many days since someone has drunkenly climbed the Ark there of Dreams. Go. And then, oh God, there's another one too. How about, uh, now that I would say so many days in between uh, people getting, you know, stuck in the falls. Oh God, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's, just, a, that's a whole other thing. We can we can wrap it. Yeah, I, I think. I think we're I think, like what, like over an hour in. 
Yep, it's this is a good sized episode of Macabre Grimoire, and not just because of the news story, just big topic and lots of a very tangent rich episode. Yeah, 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 very tangenty. So anyway, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there for listening. Thank you, Ari, for you know hosting this with me. Uh, it's been a blast. Um, if you want to like support what we do here at the podcast network, you can always do that at uh, patreon.com slash Sioux Falls. Super easy to remember, uh, hopefully. And then uh, also want to give a big shout out to uh, the live event that the podcast network is doing September 21st. Uh, at Last Stop Studios. You totally want to be there. Go buy your tickets at Last Stop CD Shop because within 24 hours I will be running a box of tickets there and they will be available. Nice. Um, Let's see. Anything else I'm promoting? No, just uh, enjoy our podcasts. Enjoy Patreon if that's your thing. Otherwise, we'd always appreciate a positive review on iTunes or... uh, Whatever your podcast is. Yeah, Libsyn, SoundCloud, etc., etc. Wherever you're listening. But uh, anyway, we that's a wrap, I think, and we'll see you all next time. Bye! Macabre Grimoire is a production of the SiouxEmpire.com. Learn more at macabregrimoire.com.